Hey, let's stand. Let's grab uh, those Bibles you have in your hand. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 12. Sounds like a good thing to do, doesn't it? Turn those Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And as we delve into it this morning, may You truly be honored and be representative of what Your great doctrine of the resurrection is. And may we learn better how this works in our own lives. In Your Son's name, Amen. What if there is no resurrection? Pretty easy title this week. Kind of comes out of the section there, doesn't it? The following questions and answers that I'm going to read to you here for a few moments come from liberals who deny the resurrection. There are people who profess to be Christians who deny the resurrection. Can you believe that? They profess to be Christians. Now, this is typical of postmodern, postmodernism, and liberal thought. This is very typical. There was a question that a young man sent in to a pastor. And uh, this is just the way that it read. I got this off the internet. This is pretty recent. I was baptized United Methodist Church but fell away from faith and am now meandering back. If I embraced the resurrection in a less literal way, would I be welcome in the church of my youth? If I saw it in a less literal way, that it's not really for real. Thanks in advance, Rocky. Here's the answer from the pastor of the church. Dear Rocky, you ask an excellent question. Please understand that I'm not equivocating in this response. However, the answer would have to be yes and no. We already have a problem, don't we? Yes, you are welcome in the United Methodist Church. There are plenty of United Methodist and United Methodist churches in which your position would not be a problem nor even uncommon. Indeed, even United Methodists who believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus, such as myself, do so while understanding that its meaning as a theological affirmation is more important than the literal event. Questions like, what does the doctrine of the resurrection teach us about life and death and life eternal are the kind of questions that are most important, not did it literally happen. Even though I affirm the doctrine of the resurrection in a literal sense, I do not have a problem with those who affirm it figurative, metaphorically or mythologically. I believe that most United Methodist clergy would agree. That being said, I'm afraid there would be some United Methodist churches where an inability to affirm a literal resurrection would cause you trouble with lay people and clergy. Hence, you'll have to be careful as to the United Methodist church you choose if I were in your shoes, I would look for one that is somewhat progressive, quote, liberal, 
in its social and theological stance, and one where the membership isn't afraid to ask questions and hold multiple differing opinions. This is on one of the most basic doctrines in all of the Bible, the resurrection. And did we see how the man fumbled around? Very close, isn't it? And which is universalism, which is liberalism, which is the postmodern churches of our day even. Now here's another question of uh, a man that sent this in to a pastor. Is acceptance of literal resurrection required for belief in divinity of Jesus? Here's the answer from the pastor. I think the crux of the matter depends upon what is meant by the divinity of Jesus. I believe it refers to the manifestation of Christ within the heart of the individual as a recognition of his or her divine connection to the Father. I would think that a person who claims the label Christian would at the very least structure their beliefs within the framework of Christian vocabulary. Otherwise, the label would make no sense. In this sense, it becomes nonsensical to speak of a literal resurrection. I honestly cannot see the benefit of such a belief. Perhaps some feel it reflects the depth of their faith by accepting an otherwise unbelievable event. I find more benefit in viewing the death and resurrection of Jesus as a symbolic of the spiritual path itself. Putting one's energy into such a path, I think would have a more transformative effect than simply believing a certain event actually took place. Here's another preacher. These are all different preachers of our day who have big signs out in front of their churches who are accepted denominations of the body of Christ today. Now, whenever I did the United Methodist Church, I wasn't trying to pick on United Methodist Church. That's just literally the way the letter said. And I'm just, I wrote it word for word. So I'm not picking on them. You could probably pick on any denomination that you'd want. And uh, many of them would agree with the United Methodist Church there. And I'm, I'm saying many. I'm, I'm saying a lot. Another preacher said, let's confess that the resurrection is a myth. This is what he said to the church. And this is really hard to understand. It circles and you go, I don't even know what he meant. This is not to say it's not true. On the contrary, a myth is not to believe in any accounts of resurrection. God's truth is open-ended. It means you can believe it for however you want to believe it. That is kind of like this. Alistair Begg used uh, an example I thought was really good. When a group of guys get together, or you have a basketball game, and they're at the uh, half court, getting ready to throw up the ball to tip, to see who gets possession first. And uh, they're all gathered there, and they're ready, and the referee says, "Uh, where's the ball? One of the players says, "Uh, where's the ball? What do you mean? Uh... Where's the ball? It doesn't matter. And another guy says, Hey, let's just forget the ball and let's just start the game. (laughs) Do you catch what's happening there? Can you imagine playing a basketball game without a basketball? Can you imagine having Christianity without the literal resurrection? (laughs) It can't be done. It's impossible. You, You cannot have any arguments on the resurrection. It's cut and dried. It's right or wrong. And those right and wrongs have become blurry out in the world. 
and in the church. It, whatever it means to you is what it means, right? And so therefore, you take one of the greatest doctrines and we go, you know, we have to address this. And that's what Paul did back even in Corinth. Doctrine is so vital. It is essential. Doctrine, which is teaching. Doctrine means teaching. And it's not a bad word, it's a good word. And many do not like doctrine because it takes a little work, it takes thinking, it takes an understanding. But you know, how you live is going to be determined by what you believe. I've said it a hundred times, I've said it a thousand times, and you have too, that if belief really doesn't mean anything, that you can live however you want. But if you have a, a particular doctrine like resurrection, your hope and your whole faith is built upon the fact that Christ actually did rise from the dead and everything is focused on that issue. And so therefore you know that that is true. And there is no quivering on it. And you're going to live your life now based upon that hope. You are putting your whole life on the line because of that. Now, theology is everybody's business. Theology is not just the pastor or the teacher, but it's everyone who knows the Lord. Because theology, theos is God, and ology is dealing with the science or the knowledge of. It's the knowledge of God. And Jesus says, this is eternal life that they may know thee. Right? To know God. That's really why we open up the Bible to learn doctrine so that then we can be anchored on what is truth in our lives then um, equivocate to that. So it is everybody's business. The key to getting everything right is getting doctrine right. If you get doctrine right... And it's not just in your head, but then it goes to your heart when you really believe it and you commit to that, then you get other things start becoming right in your life. If you have a good dose of doctrine today, you will be more healthy than you were when you first came here. And you can say, Yeah, but I already know about the resurrection. I believe I don't think there's anybody here that doesn't believe in the resurrection. And it's not that I'm trying to convince you of anything, but it is to remind us how important it is and to further anchor our hope in the fact of what has happened. He had to do that with the Corinthians. When he writes to them, he's not writing to unbelievers here. He's writing to believers, although there are unbelievers in here that were causing a stir, bringing uh, false doctrine in, one of these being resurrection. So, even there are people doing that. The Jesus of the Scripture is the resurrected Jesus. And I think of, of Michael um, was uh, relating, I think, to Carolyn last week. He had gone to a funeral uh, where there was a man who had passed away. And um, he came from a Jehovah's Witness background. And Michael was saying, everything that we believe in was totally different than what they were saying. And you know, they don't believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. They see a different Jesus Christ. He's Michael the Archangel. He is, uh, he is not God. And all you can just go on with that. How is your life going to be able to conform to these principles when you can't even believe in a resurrection? That's sad. You see how many people Jehovah's Witnesses are leading right into the wrong place. It is sad. It's very sad. 
And was I right, Mike? Is yeah. that right? I didn't want to misquote you there, but um, that what we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15 goes totally against the grain of what they believed whenever they spoke about in that funeral, wasn't it? Anyway, um, that, that is not a hatred against the people there. We love them. It's what the doctrine and the religion that is being taught out of there is what we despise. Because it's demonic. It's doctrines of demons, as Paul would relate to. Well, you know what? You take the resurrection away, there's really nothing left. If it's removed, there will be drastic consequences. And that's what Paul is going to bring forth to us today as we look in this section. It's drastic of what's going to happen if this really not be true. We're banking on this, folks. And if we're wrong, man, we are the most to be pitied. That's what Paul said. If we're really wrong. But you know what? We're not. (laughs) Because we're banking on truth. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, the very first one. Now, if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So Paul now addresses it and says, okay, there's some among you who are uh, espousing something totally different than what I presented you Remember back in verse 3 and 4, this I delivered to first of all, which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul already told them that. And if you're a Christian, you believe in the resurrection. If you're a Christian and you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a Christian. It's just as simple as that. Uh, I talked to a missionary one time, and I've related this probably a few times, but I found it amazing that this missionary, who should have been well grounded in this, in the gospel, uh, this is the main point of the gospel, and you go amongst people who uh, are foreigners, uh, people who are good thinkers, like in China is where this was at. The young man uh, that was college age couldn't uh, said he trusted in Christ, he believed in Christ, but he could not believe in the resurrection. He said that's the one thing that he wasn't going to buy. Well, my Bible says here that this man is not a Christian. So when the missionary related that to me and said, you know, I believe it was just an intellectual problem. I I know that he was a Christian though. I said, yeah, but the basic tenet of Christianity is that you believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again in the flesh on that third day. That's what the Scriptures say. And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe the Gospel. And if you don't believe the Gospel, then you're not a Christian. And she said, yeah, but it was, he probably will come to it one of these days, but his mind just couldn't, couldn't believe that. It was too offensive to him for some man to come up out of the grave. And I, I maintain, I said, well, I'm sorry, but the truth here is right here in this focus. If you want to believe that, you can, but I'm sorry, that man still needs Jesus Christ. He's dead in his sins. And you read in 1 Corinthians 15, and you'll see that that be the case. So what's the problem with the Corinthians here? Were some of them actually believing this as Paul's trying to bring them back? Well, you remember that they have a problem with the, the body. After it dies, they say the soul goes into immortality, but the body goes and dies and that's it. And so the Greek thought was that. In that, yeah, uh, I'll go into eternity here, but I'll never have another body. Now, they've they've already believed in the resurrection, but then you have some that rise up that say, hey, we're not going to resurrect. We're not going to have a body. They say, yeah, maybe Jesus did that. 
Or maybe he didn't, but you won't. So it was going around in the church and some of them were getting shaken up by this and even, even starting to even think, well, maybe that's right. Because of the Greek philosophy. You know what happens with the wisdom of man, don't you? Satan uses that so good because it sounds so scientific. Evolution sounds so scientific. It sounds so scientific that actually scientific means knowledge, God's knowledge. And if we look at His truth, He is truth. But if we look at man's wisdom, it is downright stupid with some of the thoughts they have come up with, right? We believe in a literal creation. Six days at that. And there again, I, I think if Paul had to at that time, I don't think they had so much of a problem with it then. I, I believe it was just a matter of teaching creation to the Gentiles. I don't think he had to even mention six-day creation. It's in Genesis and they would read that, they would see it. But The resurrection is so essential. It's the heart of the Gospel. And you know what? I think we as Christians take it for granted sometimes. We have a whole chapter here and I don't know exactly how many weeks we'll go through with this. I don't want to be repeating the same thing, but I think there is a reason why this is here because there are many today that would try to twist this around a little bit or you're going to have somebody come up to you one of these days and say, yeah, Christianity is foolish because they actually said a man came to life. Now, I've encountered that before. And uh, I've said, hey, listen, that is our fact. That is our what we all believe in. And if you can't, you have to answer to this historical truth. What do you do with that? And they say, well, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I, I didn't see that. And they'll even say, and they commit historical suicide whenever they say that Jesus didn't even exist. That's going against just history. It's all in Scripture. These are, are great uh, manuscripts here that have been proven. But historical people outside of Christianity who were not Christians have recorded that there was a man by the name of Jesus, this Jesus Christ. Josephus even said, uh, as it's in, in many of uh, some of his uh, early writings, that uh, Jesus actually was crucified and rose from the dead. Josephus never changed, um, but the thing is, is that we do see that mentioned. Uh, but Scripture is what really counts. Uh, all through the Old Testament, uh, we've checked that out before. Uh, David taught resurrection. Uh, Job taught resurrection. Isaiah taught the resurrection. And the Old Testament's there. It's not as clear as what we see now. It's just like uh, somebody came along and, you know, like a, you have a, a glass and whenever it gets real steamy, and you can still kind of see through the window, but it's really kind of uh, messed up. You can't see all the way through, but you know what's there on the outside. It's outside out there. But it's just like somebody comes along and wipes that off and now you can see through that glass well we have a new testament that lights up the old testament we have Jesus talking about the resurrection and he even claimed to be the resurrection he said in John 14 I am and of course I am is the very name of God I am the resurrection and the life he is the resurrection himself so he made that claim and he even claimed that he would come back from the dead. Then the apostles, who did not understand what that meant for quite some time, as Jesus had mentioned it time after time, whenever they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts, 
they made sure to underscore the great doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. Because in the preaching of the Gospel, they cannot fail to mention the resurrection of Christ. They witnessed it. (laughs) They never forgot it, and they made sure that was part of it. The preaching of the Gospel had the resurrection as the heart of the good news. How could people ever miss that? Well, listen. Cults start that way. Hardly any cult. I don't know if there's any cult that even believe in the resurrection. Not like what we do. You might see the Mormons believing in the resurrection, but is it really the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who is God Himself, the only God? Is that Yahweh? Is that Jehovah? Is that the one of the Bible? No, that's something different. The heart of the Gospel. Look how the Gospel was preached in the early church. And let's trace through this. I love to do this. And this is real easy. Turn to the book of Acts. And I'm not going to turn real quick because, and if I do, it will be right on to the next chapter. Let's start in Acts chapter 2, verse 24. Here's Peter preaching the first message of the church as it has been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Acts 2, 24 speaking about Him being crucified in 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be held by it. The people are hearing the resurrection very quickly in Peter's sermon. He brings it up. It's the heart of it here. And then he goes on to say, now you must trust in that. You must repent of your sins. Turn the other way to this living Christ, not a dead one. Now, turn uh, to verse 31 and 32. Same chapter, don't you like that? Same message. Uh, verse, verse 30. Verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, the speaking of Christ, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Raise him up. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning what? The resurrection of the Messiah, the Christ. That his soul was not left in Hades, or look at this, nor did his flesh see corruption. Do you see there? The flesh and the soul. A bodily resurrection. This Jesus God has raised up of which we were all witnesses. We saw not one witness, not two witnesses, not three witnesses, but you had all the apostles. And Peter keeps mentioning raised up, resurrection. Would you say that that had to be staggering to all the people that were out there in the crowd hearing this message for the first time? And by the time he's end of it, they're cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So, resurrection. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Preaching of the Gospel. You have the lame man healed. And here's Peter and John. And in John or Acts 3.15 we have and killed the prince of life, of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. We saw it. Got to have at least two or three witnesses. We saw it. Now, Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Don't you like this? Boom, boom. Easy to find. 
4.10 Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, by the way, <laughs> whom God raised from the dead, by Him, this man stands here before you hope. There's been a healing here. It's through Jesus Christ. This is the same Christ that was raised from the dead. God did it. Raised from the dead. You crucified Him. So there's the death. It's a burial. Raising from the burial. Death, burial, resurrection. You say, well, you know, Dennis, I don't know what to say to somebody who's lost and, and they need Christ. I really don't know. They just say, well, here's the story. You are a sinner. And you have offended the holiness of God. Number one, they need to know they're a sinner. If they know they're a sinner, then you go right on to step two. And that's the good news. First of all, tell the bad news. If they know the bad news, then go to the good news. The good news is this. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and He rose again on the third day. And what you must do because of that, you can have eternal life or you can have life that continues on for eternity only apart from God and in hell. He says for you to repent and believe. That's it, folks. That's the Gospel story. That's as easy as it is. You might have different ways that you might want to approach certain people on that if they don't believe in... Um, you know what God are you talking about? Then you have to clarify it and go all the way back and talk about the Creator God, which Paul had to do in Athens, because they had all sorts of gods, and that's what people had today. They have all sorts of gods. They have them in their mind. They they are God, and they have other gods, and they believe other ways, or they don't have other gods. They actually do. It's always themselves. They themselves are idols. But that's what we do. We cut right to the heart. Show their sinners and then bring this gospel. He rose from the dead. And they say, if a man rose from the dead, then he is, and I like this, the three L's. He's either lying. This is C.S. Lewis. I'm borrowing from him. He either lied, or he is a madman, so he's a lunatic. Just, he just made all sorts of claims and he lied, or he's a madman just going about just like uh, almost this, uh, like yesterday. There's a madman that's been prophesying to the whole world. And let me tell you, it got around through the internet, through television and radio, the papers, magazines, every, everywhere. And it makes Christians, it makes us look bad because they think we're part of him. This man is way out, way out on the fringe and past that Herald Camping prophesied that yesterday. And, I, and none of you believe that. I'm sure you didn't. But he made claims. He said uh, 2011 and May 21st, and he had been saying this for months and months and months, and uh, May 21st, 2011, has come and gone, and I'll guarantee you, I haven't heard the news today, but uh, I'm sure he's saying, oh, well, I'll tell you what, I missed it by a few days. Back in 94, I did that, but I kind of miscalculated. Uh, this is going to last all the way up through October now. He says that was that was it, or he came... You know, uh, not literally, but he came in a spiritual. They'll, they'll always use that. For two thousand years, they've been saying that Christ came, you know, in, in um, not bodily form, but he came. He came back spiritually. No, when he comes back, every eye will see him. Okay, do you get that? I want you to catch that, because there is a theology going around, even in the body of Christ. It's very good theology, and they said, well, Jesus came back in seventy A.D. Uh, not the way that the Bible says. Not the, not the sense in the, that He's coming back for believers. Uh, he's in my heart. He resides here spiritually. 
but he has not come back in that bodily form. That's what we're talking about. The literal return of Jesus Christ is literal. Just like his resurrection was literal. There's so much today that people try to get around using spiritual meanings. Be careful with it. And these are coming from pretty good theologians. Everything is spiritual and it's not physical. Well, there are things that are spiritual. But we have to be very careful. It's very tricky. And that's why I say there will be a literal return of Christ. So don't buy it when people say, well, Jesus Christ has already come back. That is uh, landing on cultism. So, we keep on going. I, I say a lot of warnings whenever I do that. And I don't... Uh, I've got to be dogmatic because I am your pastor. I want to protect the sheep. Be careful. There are a lot of wind and doctrine going out. And if Christ has come back, I want to sing. Every eye will see Him. I take that literally, do you not? Verse 30. Acts 5.30 The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Do you see what Paul said? He actually resurrected from the ground, from the grave, from the tomb, and came back to life and had a real body. See, back there, they were saying, no, no, no. The Greeks were saying, no, that's ridiculous. That's insane. No, He came out spiritually. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses say, by the way. He did a spiritual resurrection. That's what many are saying. That's what they're saying in Corinth, folks. What's wrong with Him coming back in the body? Because that is truth. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. So it's literal, it's literal, 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 Paul says. This was preached, Acts chapter 7. You have Stephen the martyr. He gives a convicting message. It's so convicting that people are cut by the Word of God through the Old Testament preaching of Stephen. And then uh, as they uh, are getting ready to kill him, We see in verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Somehow, some way, God peeled back the curtain of heaven in some way and he was able to see Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open. I see that. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He didn't see Jesus literally right in front of him, but he did see him in the heavens, wherever we know that's up, but wherever that is. And he saw him. If he is there, that means he arose. We're talking about he saw him in a body, standing. Standing there. Chapter 10, verse 40 and 41. Paul is addressing these Corinthians because of the philosophy that was going around. 10, 40, and 41. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. He didn't show Himself openly to everybody, but He had certain people that He revealed Himself to. We ate and drank with Him. He had a body. Corinthians, He had a body. We ate and drank with Him. Do you see why um, the writer of Acts here, Luke, is making that point? As this message had already been preached, 
He made sure that he got this word for word. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to make sure to get that right in there. It's so key. Acts 13, verse 30 and 31. This is the kind of message that we give to the lost. You don't have to say, I just don't know what to say to the lost people. Folks, every one of us have a testimony. If we are Christians, did you know you're a witness? You're a witness of Jesus Christ. You are a true witness of what He did to your life. And you can say historically, here's what He did. Acts 13, 30, and 31. But God raised Him from the dead. Does that sound familiar? He was seen for many days by those who came up with Him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are His witnesses to the people. Not only the apostles, but the Galileans. And Paul's already mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, how many witnesses were there? 500 witnesses. Over 500 people. I think that's rather convincing. This is the message that we give today. 2,000 years later, you know what? It has not changed, has it? You say, Dennis, I'm starting to get the idea that we're supposed to tell them about the resurrection. Right? Chapter 17, verse 3. 17, 3. They had the same message and say, this gets kind of old after a while. No, 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 no. It doesn't. It never gets old, does it? Okay, he goes into Thessalonica. Where does he go? He goes to jail. No, he goes to the synagogue first. The jail's later. <laughs> okay, he goes into the synagogue. Who, who are at the synagogue? Well, who worships at the synagogue? Jews. That's who he went to first. But then uh, they would later kick him out or whatever, and then he'd go to the Gentiles. Verse 2 says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went to them for three Sabbaths. Three weeks in a row they allowed him to come in there. Reasoned with them from the Scripture. He reasoned. And then he explained. You know what he did? He took Scripture out of the Old Testament, just took the Old Testament, and took those Isaiah passages, took those, uh, what, uh, going to Genesis if you want, I'm sure. He just you know, went from here to there to there. He took Psalms. He took Job. He mentioned that. He, he gives out the Gospel. The Gospel is, is being right out of the Scripture, which is the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament at the time. So he explains and demonstrates. So that's what we do. We explain the text. I think that's what you see all throughout Scripture when people are preaching the Word of God and teaching. They are just simply explaining, expounding, and we call it expository teaching, which I think is the only way to preach the Word of God. Because And Spurgeon was an expository preacher, but he didn't do book after book. I'm not necessarily saying you have to do a book after book after book or go through a whole book, although that's what we do, basically. We might do a topic here and there, but we explain the Scripture no matter what. Spurgeon would just take one verse. One verse, one week, every week. And he would explain what everything meant in that verse. And that's why... God used him in such a successful way. C.H. Spurgeon out of London. Back in the late 1800s. Uh, Amazing. What does he say in verse 3 though? Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ, that the Messiah, and that's the way the Jews would hear it, the Mashiach, he would come in. He says, okay, listen, I'm going to prove it to you. I know you don't believe it. I know you think the golden age is going to start. As soon as the Messiah comes, boom, that's it. Uh, he's going to defeat the Romans and Titus, or not not Titus, but whoever, and Caesar and, and the whole world, and he's going to take over and boom, there we go. We're in the kingdom. This is it. This is eternal life. He demonstrates that the Messiah had to suffer. And then what? 
rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Mashiach, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Alright? All those words mean the same. They would have thought Mashiach. They would have thought Messiah. And he says, this Jesus who walked here on the earth did all those miracles? I want to tell you something. Guys, this is it. He's the one. This is the Messiah. He came out of the dead to prove it. That's it. Verse 4, here's the result. Some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So Jews came to this truth, and what? A great multitude of the devout Greeks. That's people who were after pursuing God. And they followed this teaching. Came Christians. Hmm. Great. Verse 31-32. In Athens, gospel moves on. What does Paul preach after he starts with a God who created? He, he, that's what he has to start with on these guys. Because they've got a lot of gods. So he says, well, okay, now I'm going I'm to teach to you the one true God who actually created And it comes to verse 31. Because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man. Now this is not Stan the man. Great cardinal player. One of the greatest ever. This is Jesus the man. (laughs) Much greater than Stan. Whom He has ordained, He has given assurance of this to all. What is the blessed assurance? By raising Him from the dead. And all the Greeks there in Athens, the philosophers, what do they start doing? They start mocking Him, making fun of Him, and it's time to depart because they can't handle this resurrection of the dead coming out and getting back into a body because their teaching says, no, no, no. The soul goes out of here and the body is done forever. The body, material things are evil. They're wicked. No, God made material things. It's a good thing. When we go into heaven, we're not going to be ethereal and spiritual and some kind of just floating out in the clouds. No, we're going to have real bodies like we have now, only much better. And Paul will get into that and say, what's a body going to look like? And Paul will tell us what that is about uh, to a certain degree. Uh, Is that enough Scripture? Have we been convinced enough? Uh, you guys don't have to be convinced, but that is it. That's what we preach. So if there is no resurrection, think about all that preaching there. Christ couldn't have been raised. Because Christ was a man. Remember this man? Christ was God 100%. Christ was man 100%. We have 100%. We have 100%. What's that? It's 200% being a whole God. The two natures. Man, God. Fully man. If he was fully man, how could there not be a resurrection uh, he raised? But if there is no resurrection, then Christ couldn't have been raised. This would be the logical conclusion, would it not? He was resurrected, so we too would become resurrected. He had to become a man. He had to take on the sin, and then he had to become resurrected. And that's the reason he came to earth. The Corinthians were denying the resurrection. They bought the philosophy of the immortal soul of man. And some of them now are swaying, are going that way, and Paul has to set them right. They believe that Christ arose, the true believers. But man, having a body, uh, that's... uh, I don't know, I can't handle that. 
Oh my. Christ was not raised, Paul says, if that be the case. Remember the Gospel, Corinthian folks, verses 3 and 4, what he's just stated. How could you say there's no such thing, he says. He says, you've already committed yourself to this. You've already done this. How is it that you believe Jesus rose from the dead, but dead man cannot raise? And you know, by not believing that, what you do, you have just given the death blow to Christianity. Paul is saying, if dead men don't rise, then guess what? Christ doesn't rise. You're not going to rise. Matter of fact, you're dead this forever. Now that's a logical deduction Paul uses right here contrary to the statement they made. And so he's making a claim that he is man, that he is God. And if you say dead men don't rise, what happens about Christ? Now, that's why in verse um, uh, 12 and 13, he makes that, that point. Now, that's the first one, and that's the one we are uh, really spending the most time on. You can say, boy, if we spend the rest of this on here, we're not going to be able to eat today. I always take those first few verses to make it the lengthiest. Why is that? Okay, let's move to verse 14. Ready? Here we go. Alright, it's going, to, it's going to move along now. We've already talked about the heart of the Gospel. By the way, I've got to do one more. Um, it's in Romans 10. 9 and 10. And this is a, a great section. I had you turn to 1 Corinthians 15 probably. but Now here we go to Romans. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Somebody's going to say, well, how are people going to know the Gospel if people aren't sent out there? If they don't hear the Gospel, right? And that's what he's really leading up to. How are they going to know that God is calling them? Well, he introduces that section with verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, what? That God has raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's it? Hmm? If you confess with your mouth, showing openly that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He's King of your life. I mean, He is in control of your life. From here on out, Jesus is your Lord. Whatever you want, hey, just, just take me. Now, we're dying daily to that. Because we say it first when we first become a Christian. But then we start realizing what that really means. And we go, oh wow, there's something else He's going to cast off of me. There, that one went. There was another part. He's stripping us as He's being Lord. But then He says, if you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we know what the message is, and we say, hey, here it is. You can believe it or not, but there it is. There's the truth. We have the fact. We know 100%. There's a lot of things that I think I know. But I'll tell you what, this is one thing I know, I know. I'm willing to bank everything of my life on this statement. Everything. Everybody here is the same way when you said that He's Lord. And what do you say? Well, people are to say that He is Lord and be believing that God raised Him from the dead. 
That's why I say you cannot be a Christian unless God is raising from the dead. How can that missionary say, yeah, but he had a little intellectual problem, but I believe he's a Christian. I had an intellectual problem that he couldn't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, you need to give him the gospel again. He's an unbeliever, and he's still in his sins. See how important it is? You can say, Dennis, that's awful harsh to tell them that. I know, it felt harsh. I don't, you know, I don't like to be harsh with people at all. But I have no option to water down God's Word to make people feel better and say, okay, you have a little problem with that. It's okay. You're still a Christian. You're going to heaven now. And uh, you may struggle with that. And maybe, maybe not. Or maybe you, you continue to believe that. Well, it's okay. You're a Christian. And everything's going to be okay now. Wouldn't that be nice to say that? Everybody's going to heaven. We're very narrow. I didn't make up the rules. You guys don't make up the rules, Right? The Scripture, the Gospel, is so narrow, it cuts against the grain of all other religions. There is no other religion we can even put it by. <laughs> it's so narrow. Don't you feel sometimes like you're out there on, on the edge and people are making fun of you and, and you're not accepting, you're not tolerating things? You feel that way sometimes? We are very narrow because Jesus said right, that He was the narrow way. I know it. I know it. But I'm glad because it's the truth. Uh, in verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Now there's two things here in verse 14. Your, the preaching is useless. It's empty. It's vain. There's no gospel because Jesus died and that was it. If, if that's the way it is. Jesus died. That was it. There's no rose again. There really is no good news in that. The guts of the message has just been torn out. The heart of the message. There's nothing to preach. And if that were to be true, I'm standing up here like a fool. I'm lying. There is nothing to this. And this is absolutely zero useless. That's that's the way it is. There's nothing to preach. You have no gospel to offer people. Nothing. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians here. Everything Jesus said, as a matter of fact, just goes down the drain. Jesus was not saying anything because He didn't rise. Everything is lost. Everything is done, Paul says. Romans 4.4 said He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. And that proved His deity. He was man... But He rose from the dead. It showed His power. And that is great news to preach, isn't it? We can go around saying, hey, you know what? I have a Savior. He rose from the dead. Can you believe that? Oh, man. If, if He isn't God, then what do I have to preach about? Gospel preaching would be a sham. It would be a hoax. It would be a lie. That would be totally bad news, wouldn't it? Absolutely. By the way, in verse 14, your faith is also empty. Not only is preaching empty, but everything you guys believe in, it's absolutely worthless. Your faith would be in vain if the Gospel is a lie. What else can you do? There's nothing to put your faith in. There'd be no substance there. Totally useless. There certainly is a reason to place our faith in the living Savior, isn't it? Uh, go to Psalm 73.13. David here, I believe, is 
praying to God, speaking to God about the, the people of the wicked, the wicked people, the sinners. And again, it's like, they seem to be so blessed. Everything seems to be going so good, just smoothly sailing along. And he says, if that be the case, in verse 13, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. He says, this has all been empty. It's worthless. Why do I try to be holy and have a clean heart? If they get blessed and and here I am a believer and I'm trying to be pure in my life, it's just empty. It's vain. But then David got set right. In verse 21, he says, Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. He gets the right view of God there. And... uh, this didn't happen until he went to the sanctuary. In verse 17, then I understood their end. Yeah, they might be making a lot of money by doing what they're doing. But if they don't have Christ, where are they heading? David says, here I am. I'm getting persecuted and all the, everything is just falling around me. But he got to the sanctuary. He started thinking on God. And guess what? He realized that's where you get your right sight when you look at Him. Imagine all the names mentioned in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. You can think of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. You can think of Enoch. You can go on and on and on with uh, the great men of faith, David. Where would they be if this was all worthless? Because they looked to this. That's what they saw coming. You know what? Where would they be? Well, they wouldn't be in the hall of faith because there's really no faith that they, they really have. It'd all be fake. It'd be worthless. Absolutely senseless. Matter of fact, they'd be in hell. Go to verse 15 now, First Corinthians. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified to God that He raised up Christ whom He did not raise up and in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. We keep hearing this, but here's another thing. The apostles were liars. So, Christ hasn't been raised. The preaching is useless. The faith is worthless. And the apostles were lying. If there was no resurrection, then the apostles can't be believed. Now, we traced through the book of Acts, didn't we? We saw Peter and John. We saw Paul. We saw different people preaching the gospel. What they were doing is that they just made up a story about the resurrection. And it was pure fabrication. You remember the Jews? That's really what they said. They, they said the apostles were lying. Hey, listen. I want to tell you something. Their main message was Christ rose from the dead. That's really what they, that's what they wanted to get to in this juicy story, this gospel. And they would say that. And they would have been lying. I do want to say, though, that dead people, I mean, are, um, do people, just regular people, do they die to keep a lie. Do you know what we're saying there? If they know that their life is threatened, that they could die, would they lie? 
Man, it's been stated like this. I thought it was a pretty good quote. Man may die for a conviction. Right or wrong. Man may die for a conviction, but man will not die for a concoction. He will not make up a lie so that he could possibly die. Right? That's not normal. And all these apostles wouldn't have gone around saying that. They died for this message. They were persecuted severely. So they didn't, uh, as a matter of fact, they didn't make money off of it. They were poor because of it. They were severely persecuted and put to death. As a matter of fact, the first conviction that they had, though, that Jesus was dead, and uh, that was it. <laughs> I mean, they were, they were sad. They didn't hang around for the crucifixion. They, were, they went off and hid. They couldn't believe that there was a resurrection that was going to be. They, they already didn't know what Jesus meant by that. And when they saw him, and when Thomas saw him and felt him, now they were totally convicted of this message. And now they did something to it. They were witnesses of the truth. In Acts one twenty two, they're looking for the twelfth apostle because Judas just committed suicide and did that treacherous act, Jesus. And Acts one twenty two. Peter, I think, says this beginning oh verse twenty one, therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went out and among us, all these apostles and uh, but the people who followed Jesus, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us. Of his resurrection. We have to get another apostle to fill this in. One of them. Here's the, the specifics from the time that John the Baptist came on the scene to the time that uh, Jesus was walking among us to witness that. So, in John 2.18, that would be Peter being a liar. In John 2.18, here's Jesus that would be a liar. We've already established the fact that uh, hey, Jesus didn't rise from the dead either then, if, if you're saying this. John 2.18, So the Jews answered and said to Him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. He's the temple. He says, You destroy Him. Whenever you kill Him, on the third day He'll be arisen. That was a prophecy very early in the ministry. And so he was already already telling them about the resurrection. Okay, we move on to our fifth one in verse 17 of chapter 15 of Corinthians. Verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. We've already seen that about the faith. You are still in your sins! Exclamation point. That would be terrible news to hear. After all this, we would still be in our sins. That's incredibly horrible. Sin killed Christ. And death held Him in the ground. He didn't come up out of it. Sin killed Jesus. And here's the real true story though. Sin killed Jesus. My sin killed Him. Your sins killed Him. Our sins were put on Him. He was made sin 
for us, one who never had sin, and our sin was transferred to him, and sin killed him. If he didn't rise, then sin was so powerful that he couldn't come back. He didn't beat sin. And what does that mean to us? We are still in our sins. That's horrible. That's no hope. Our faith could not do anything for us. The power of sin then would not... um, it, It would be the victor. But we know that the power of sin was broken. The power of sin was defeated. We have forgiveness of sins. Amen? Isn't that great news? Look in John 8.21. Here's Jesus speaking. John 8.21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away. And you will seek Me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Who is He speaking to? The apostles? No. Not His chosen ones there. These are the Pharisees. The ones who denied Him constantly. And He says, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to seek a Messiah, so you think. You're seeking one that you want. They have idols in the heart. But He says, you're not going to find Me. And you're going to die in your sins. That had to be horrible news. Of course, they didn't believe it. John... 14.19, while you're in John, I'll make it simple here. 14.19, the night before he dies. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you, you apostles, will see me. Because I live, you will live also. There we go. Because Christ lives, they will live also. Forgiveness of sin. He was raised for our justification. Romans 4, 24 and 25. He could have died for our sins, but we still are not forgiven and justified for the, except that He has to come out of the resurrection. In Romans 4, 24 and 25. Great doctrine there. And it says that's how also we, we're justified. We're justified by faith. Um, but we, we have belief in this resurrection, right? He is raised for our justification that proved who He was. What good is a salvation that does away with the sins, uh, doesn't do away with our sins of the past? It doesn't deal with the present or the future. Uh, nothing, right? Um, the sixth one, back to 1 Corinthians. And this is only logical. You just go one after another and it just keeps building up. And Paul is just saying, hey, here's where you're at, guys, if you're going to buy this doctrine that's going around. Verse 18, Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they perished. All the saints, the Old Testament saints, the dead in Christ have all perished. Peter, James, John, Paul, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Edwards, they're in eternal torment. If you're still in your sins, when you die, you're going to find yourself in hell. Satan would be the winner. God would be the loser. This is heavy. <laughs> to deny the resurrection is, is really heavy. That's how vital the resurrection is. All the saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, Daniel, David. Whew. All of those guys? Wow. 
They're dead. And that's it. That's what it means. Last one, verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, in this life only, if there's nothing else after us, we are of all men the most pitiable. If this be true, don't have our sins taken away and, and we're dead in our sins. Well, if you have just life and the hope in this life right here, your best life now, if this is it, let me tell you, we are sorry people. <laughs> this is not what it's about, ultimately. We would be losers. We would be wasting our time. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? For tomorrow we die. That's what it comes down to. Why go through all the tough stuff as a Christian? You know, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. You know, he promises those things. We have tests. We have to go through spiritual warfare. We have to put on armor and fight the enemy. And you know what? If it didn't happen, then we don't have to do that and just live the way that you want. Don't worry about anything because there's nothing else after this. That's what Paul's saying. For 2,000 years, people have made fun of Christians. When Christ is Lord of your life, you might get ridiculed. You're putting all the eggs in one basket and you get persecuted for it sometimes. How dumb we would be if this resurrection is just a hoax. Uh, It's just a bunch of baloney. As Paul is saying, we wasted our lives. We're a pitiful bunch. I'm pitiful for up here, up here lying. You guys out there believing this and you telling other people about it. You're all liars and it's all worthless. It's all in vain. All those people. Can you imagine? Here we fight temptation. We struggle with sin. We seek to please Christ. We want to obey the Scripture. We, we take time in prayer, have Bible studies. We take time to come here this morning. We could have been watching TV and reading the newspaper sitting and relaxing, drinking a cup of coffee out there on the patio. (laughs) We could have done that. Aren't you glad you're here though? Suffer reproach, try to witness and all that. That's a bunch of baloney if it's worthless, if there's really no resurrection. Because verse 20 says this, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead. Is that what we like to hear? We have a promise. It's just like if you've been promised to go to a dentist office when you're a kid, and then after you come out of the dentist office, they're promising you, you will get ice cream after this. Ooh, okay. Got something to shoot for now. And then uh, they say, oh, by the way, oh, you got your tooth, uh, you know, you got, you got them filled and cleaned and everything. It was painful. And guess what? We're not going to go to the dentist. <laughs> Ooh. You would felt like you'd been lied to. Well, that's what this would be about if there's no resurrection. But we know it is there. We would ne- we'll never be let down, folks. The ice cream is coming later. Do we have ice cream today, by chance? Bring homemade ice cream? <laughs> Dessert? I, there's a cake out there. I know there's cake. All right, can't wait. So we're going to close right now because of that. Disastrous results. Wouldn't it be? We just looked at seven of them right there that Paul listed. Disastrous. Life conquers death because Jesus conquered death. So we see that what we believe certainly affects our lives. We have great hope. The doctrine of the resurrection gives us tremendous hope, doesn't it? Thank you for listening. Let's have a word of prayer.